0: Welcome to the World Extreme Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen P. Wood. I'm an EM and critical care nurse practitioner, medic, podcast host, and Wilderness Extreme Medicine Fellow. And it's great to have you joining us today. We know that there are a lot of podcasts out there and a lot that you could be doing with your time. We're thrilled that you're spending your time with us for today's podcast. And I'm excited today to have Dr. Sanjay Gupta, he's the Chief of Emergency Medicine at Northwell Medical Center in New York. Uh, He's a wilderness enthusiast, wilderness educator, and he's going to talk today about a really important topic, bringing wilderness and extreme medicine to the virtual world. Dr. Gupta, take it away.
1: All right. Well, Steve, thank you again for the uh, invitation to join your podcast. I'm always very excited to talk about wilderness medicine and education and uh, combining the two. I think... um, Uh, Wilderness medicine education is always very unique in that it is, you know, truly uh, a simulated type education, but uh, in an insight to type of environment. So what, you know, where best to teach about uh, wilderness, uh, you know fracture, uh, kind of splinting. than in the wilderness, you know, we go out, we, you know, mimic a scenario, um, out in the field, but we actually get people to, you know, take branches of wood and split folks. So, uh, wilderness medicine education is greatly suited to combine those elements of, you know, outdoors, insight to simulations, which usually keeps learners really engaged from, uh, so many things. But, uh, Just like the pandemic has challenged us in so many different ways, uh, education has been a part of that. So um, notwithstanding, I'm an emergency physician. So, you know, we had the challenge of continuing emergency medicine education in environments where we had to be socially distanced and utilize proper sanitation techniques like masks and, you know, uh, limited exposure times. So, you know, that affected and, you know, forced us to alter the way that we provide education for, you know, physicians in that environment. But what do we do with our, you know, wilderness students? So as much as we um, wanted to still provide this education, it sometimes seemed a little insurmountable. Like, how do we provide this education for treatment in remote environments when, um You know, we can't really be in those remote environments together, or we can't even get out to those remote environments. So, um, you know, in kind of thinking about this and brainstorming with many of my fellow um, educators on the topic, uh, you know, we had some good ideas that came out. And there's some uh, collaborators that I've worked with over the years um, where we've always done a really – hope but you know kind of innovative and uh um you know kind of leading-edge job in trying to think about different educational techniques uh, and some of these folks are henderson mcginnis at wake forest and uh Stuart harris up at uh, mass general and uh you know one of the areas where we had an opportunity to try to employ one of our new ideas uh one of the places was actually the southeast wilderness uh, medicine conference earlier this year which was entirely virtual and we were charged with doing an improvisation session so you know our usual format with this would be you know let's bring a bag of stuff and the stuff can be you know random things you might have bike inner tubes, a license plate, you know some rafting straps you know things that you might have on hand you know bike pump and you talk about scenarios but actually have students in real time Think about the provision of care of people without having our traditional, you know, x-rays and plaster or fiberglass to help take care of um, different clinical situations. So, you know, the idea came about of, you know, why don't we kind of flip this around? Why don't we provide a scenario where our learners, wherever they are, uh, most of them were home, could actually run an improvisation session based on a real-world scenario much as you know we do when we're together so we really um, here you know on the East Coast and any other part of the country we're really you know looking at Texas this past winter and you know the tough time they had with the extreme cold uh, we're not we're not really prepared for that sort of thing so we know there was a lack of potable water in places electricity heat and uh, you know tough to manage conditions so So we thought about that and thought about how we could use that experience of the folks who kind of had to unfortunately suffer through that, but how can we use that as an educational module? So we turned our improvisation session into a, um, you know, somewhat of a survival session, you know, some of these, uh, you know, self-care techniques that we all have to have as wilderness educators out in the field, uh, or providers out in the field. So we actually built scenarios. We had, uh, participants, and this was all on zoom, you know, join us, and we provided the, them these scenarios. It started with, you know, this is your scenario. You are in an environment where it's 20 degrees, you have no potable water, you have no heat, you have no electricity, And um, you have to uh, actually provide yourself potable water. So how are you going to do this in your home environment? And, you know, with also the added stress of you don't have electricity, you don't have gas, so you can't boil anything. (laughs) And, you know, it really was pretty interesting how this played out. The students were kind of, at some level, not prepared for this kind of reverse improv. Like, you know, suddenly they were the participants in a situation and they had to get themselves out. But it came up with some really kind of fun and interesting outcomes. You know, we had uh, some students who certainly went and thought about this. And, uh, you know, many of them had the Poland Spring bottle, so they came up with that going, I'm good. <laughs> you know, what <which> is this? <laughs> fine, uh, but others, I and mean, it was interesting, some of them, you know, with the drops of bleach, you know, one or two drops of bleach per liter, there was some prior knowledge, but some really thought outside of um, the box a little bit. I mean, one example, and this was you know, new to me, and I have to think about this, the one brought, uh, you know, vinegar going, you know, I use vinegar to wash my fruit to sterilize it, so maybe there's some proportion of this that I could use in water to make it potable. Hmm. So it was just getting the creative kind of juices going and kind of um, you know people thinking in that kind of real world, real time, limited resource environment of how can I answer this question, much like we would have done in our kind of in-person improv sessions. And uh, you know the second scenario we brought up that day was also a light source going, hey, listen, you, you're not prepared, you don't have a flashlight, you don't have a candle. Your cell phone's out, so you can't use that flashlight. Like, how can you provide, you know, a light source in your house? And, uh, you know, some of the answers were pretty interesting. Someone built a potato battery, which I thought was great. (laughs) Like, no joke with a light bulb and, uh, you know, another... um, you know, thought this was creative and something that I never would have thought of, but, you know, LED lights in the house. I have a thirteen year old daughter, she loves her LED lights. Uh but actually took those LED lights, put a battery to it, and realized we realized, yeah, a lot of people have these LED lights around they don't require much electricity and you might be able to splice wires to build something in real time. So really kind of a fun, you know, session with some learning. I think, uh, you know, the idea is that we were able to kind of bring about this idea, some of the concept of, you know, survival techniques, but more the thought process of improvisation without people having to leave their house and actually using whatever items they had sitting around, which is often what we do for in-person improv sessions. I would say if I had to do it again, the thing I would do is probably prepare the students uh, for the session without revealing what it was going to be because you really have to be willing to be involved. It was more of laying out the scenario, sending the students out, giving them a block of time to build or get at whatever they were going to come back with, and then they were going to present their ideas, and we would give feedback in real time for kind of group learning. Some of them were not as enthusiastic about getting up and, you know, running around their apartments or their homes to do this. So, you know, next time I would certainly have uh, laid out some objectives a little bit more clearly with also the... Intention of this is hands-on. You you know you have to participate to get the you know the most out of this. Um, you know just to, in some level to weed out the people who really you know may like more passive uh, sort of education better. So we thought that was pretty successful. Uh, and Thomas, Sanjay, no one
0: no one came up with vodka or tequila as a good diluent for sterilization. Uh, I, I I was that might have I been was, my first thought.
1: Yeah, I was surprised. I mean, it was a group of teetotalers, but uh, it yeah. was discussed. But no one, no one pulled out there like Tito's, you know, at uh, <laughs> a glass. So okay, well, uh, yeah.
0: something to think about for next for the next session for sure.
1: Absolutely, and uh, I think uh, another big uh, opportunity that we had was that uh, every year at Society for Academic Emergency Medicine, we run an eight-hour wilderness medicine workshop. So it's usually about a group of 10 of us. Many of these folks are well-known leaders and educators in the field. Many of them are fellowship directors across the country. So, you know, we spend the morning doing didactic lectures on, you know, how to build a curriculum and how to negotiate with your professional school. It's usually medical school about getting a program going, um, you know, how do you build an elective, but we usually spend the afternoon in skills you know, litter building, this improv session that I mentioned, um, you know, you run a tabletop on poisonous plants, you know, very multifaceted, um, even how to, you know, build a scenario, things like this. But, you know, we were charged with cutting this down to four hours and doing this virtually. So, like, you know, how, how do we actually do this and you know we don't want to do anything that's not engaging you know it's very easy to make a powerpoint and do a voiceover but you know i don't think that's a great way to teach nor a great way to learn and i think zoom gives us a interesting platform uh, or teams, you know, interesting platform where you can still be engaged, but it's virtual. So we actually built out a scenario, and it was a um, high, supposed to be a trauma scenario out in the field, you know, touching on some of the critical actions of, you know, C-spine uh, immobilization, you know, wound management, you know, kind of trauma evaluation, and, um, you know, other things like uh, decision-making in, you um, Remote environments, but we're you know we're not remote. So what we actually built out with Henderson McGinnis in his backyard. I was in New York as a facilitator. He was in um, North Carolina in his backyard, and he found uh, he had his fellow and a medical student. The medical student actually staged himself as an injured cyclist. So mountain bike with the bike. He had a backpack this is all they had and so henderson and his fellow actually set themselves up as uh passerbys they were out for a day hike so had their kind of day hike packs with them and that's all the participants had so it turned into an interesting scenario where we staged this and completely over zoom so we really just took a participant with an iphone who could record the scene um, these guys split three earpieces so they could hear the dialogue, including the actor who was on the scene and the two participants out in the field. Um, we had about anywhere from range from four to 10 kind of, uh, participants at a time, and I ended up facilitating to make sure that everyone had a role, but we kind of acted as a telehealth visit. So imagine being out in the field, calling a ranger station, and there's an opportunity for a televisit, which apparently is occurring on Dan Network and other things like that. So it was uh, very interesting. So I wish I had a diagram for you, but um, I was facilitating being in New York. We had participants in this conference who were all over the world. Hmm. You know, on Zoom at different levels, some faculty types, students, trainees, and we had the actual scenario staged in a backyard in North Carolina. And so we were effectively able, and you know, the facilitation was definitely part of it, but it was able to take the participants and have them act as medical control, and it really played out well, and the Henderson and his fellow um, acting like bystanders who didn't know anything so they were the hands the eyes the ears of these students and physicians and residents Um, and they had to guide these folks these two uh, into being able to assess this injured party and provide the health care so if you think about that this is uh, the utilization of technology for pretty cheap because all you really need is a free Zoom account, you need some Wi-Fi at the site where you're staging, Wi-Fi at all the sites where people are, or, you know, cellular network, um, and then the ability to participate. So it actually really turned out even better than we thought where participants were you know, talking to the actors who were bystanders who had no medical knowledge, going, you know, can you can you touch the back of the neck and feel if and ask the patient if he has any tenderness? you know, oh, what's tenderness? You know, the elicitation of pain on uh, you know pressing back there. And it was like, yeah. so then actually kind of then going, okay you know we got to secure this so can you hold his neck or can do so it was actually going through these steps that then have to, to build a c-spine immobilization you know virtually with people who are acting like they did not know how to do this you know the same thing with uh you know wound management there was a bleeding wound open fracture uh, you know a couple other um you know, uh, basically injuries staged there. So it actually really turned out uh, pretty well. I would say uh, that most participants were actually into this. They um, helped. And then it took the part of me as a facilitator to make sure that everyone had an opportunity to speak because there's often, you know, these scenarios, one or two people who uh, you know like to talk the most. And uh, we took the opportunity at the end to um, build out, a feedback form for the participants because you know we we haven't done this before and uh, you know it was largely positive and I think it's uh, the crux was that wilderness medicine education can be offered in this way but it is not should not be a ongoing replacement for you know kind of the insight to um, you know field scenario kind of assessment work and debriefing. So we were able to try to bring that kind of scenario-based insight to learning into this virtual environment, trying to provide those elements of patient assessment, hitting um, you know the critical check marks, and then doing the debrief. So, you know, we did uh, as best as we can in the virtual environment like that.
0: Um, that. That's incredibly creative. I mean, that's something that I... I don't think I would have thought of as as a as a means for providing this educational resource, um, but it. I mean, how how better can you you know, get than, hey, let's pack a few things that you know they'll have available to them. These are going to be some non medical people calling, asking for assistance, and they can utilize what's there, try to ex you know try to explain how to assess and then try to explain. How to actually manage those patients? I think that's a creative, incredibly creative way, to kind of flip the narrative, um, and and really engage people when you know they're remote and aren't you know in the in that actual environment. Because um, I know you know one of the things that you do is that you know what I call the bag of tricks, where you dump out you know some things that people have to make improvisational splints with and things of that nature. Uh, this is. An incredibly creative way to really you know still engage those providers with that kind of limitation but in a really unique way Um, that must have really taken some thought Uh, I I assume you're going to take all the credit for that as you should but no in, in all honesty really creative and I think the other piece of that is just that the inclusivity So, you know, these a lot of these courses aren't accessible to people that are remote, don't have travel expenses. Um, You know, I think of the FDNY, you know, MSOC conference that we both participated in. You know, for me, it's I live in Boston. It's a four hour ride down to New York. You are already there. We do have people coming from all over the country, all over the world. But for those who it's not accessible to, what a great way to bring this kind of education and learning to a much broader audience. And it makes me think of you know people, especially in you know, developing countries, um, who don't have the kind of travel resources that we do. Fantastic way to really bring you know, world-class education to that platform. So I applaud you for that. That was incredibly creative.
1: Yeah, well, thank you. I think, but well, there's obviously a need. <laughs> there's a yeah. way to uh, get a lot of people engaged to think about this. So it was. Uh, I think the, the most challenging aspect of it was to, you know, we had no real way to test the platform or technology uh, before we actually did the course. So you know, often we run into we run into challenges, and it it may have been a. Big knot, but you know we were able to do that. We had you know about an hour ahead of time to test. But if it if we were really having challenges, we just would not have been able to do this. So it does take a pretty uh, stable Wi-Fi network on the you know end user part and on the participants part, and uh, whoever is hosting. you know, the Zoom session, but, you know, if if that's really it, I think in this day and age, everyone has, you know, kind of ramped up their Wi-Fi capabilities. So, you know, it's definitely a model that could be used. It's also a model where, you know, now you can have also faculty who might be in urban settings, just like you, you're in Boston, I'm in New York, but, you know, we can work together and collaborate with someone who is, you know, way across the world, just like you mentioned, in uh, education. So it kind of opens up this kind of globalization of wilderness medicine education in some respects.
0: No, it really does, and and I think that's a big positive. I think, you know, one of the limitations to all these courses that you, you know, have an opportunity to travel to, um, you know, as much as I think most of us are going to be very excited to get back and see our colleagues and meet with them, uh, and you know, engage in. Um, you know, live conferences and, and in situ experiential learning, like what you're doing, um, you know, this does offer an alternative for those who can't, you know, can't do that. And, uh, and it does offer a lot of collaboration. So, you know, it opens up that, you know, we can collaborate. Like you said, I could be here in Boston, you in New York. Um, you know, someone could be in Alaska, someone could be in Iceland, um, and we could still collaborate on a course, which is pretty exciting stuff.
1: Yep. And then, you know, some of the other elements of the course. I mean, with uh, kind of these bigger conferences where there might be, you know, some budget flexibility, you know, we were able to send uh, to participants who had pre-planned ahead of time, you know, boxes of materials. So as we were talking about, even things like You know, not making, um, you know, we were able to do that in real time with the same materials and reproducible with people where we could, you know, kind of guide and help. Obviously, we didn't have the hands there with them, but we could watch over Zoom, watch them do this with having that pre-planning. But again, you know, so many of these conferences have different types of budgets, you know, different types of access. But, uh, you know, I think it opens up a world of, you know, inclusivity for, for a lot of people.
0: Yeah, certainly. certainly. Um, It makes me think there's uh, an exercise that actually I learned at the Stratus Simulation Center um, here in Boston, uh, which is run through the Brigham and Women's Hospital, which is um, you're with a group and you're told um, you're stranded on a boat and you're given a list of like 20 pieces of equipment that you can take with you and then you have to prioritize what you want um, to basically survive. Um, I think, you know, this is a, and I, I use this when I'm doing some education around, um, crew resource management or, you know, uh, teamwork. Um, and this would be another thing it sounds like would be really amenable to this kind of, you know, um, option where you can have collaboration, even if people aren't together, they're thinking through, Oh, here's, what's the equipment that we're going to need? Why are you going to need it? Um, and I think you could do something very similar along those lines uh, to what you're talking about with what you did there um, and again you know it's it's very collaborative um, but it's even you know these these participants aren't necessarily together but they can work together you know in a collaborative way and so I think there certainly are different ways to do it um, and I really like what you're what you did there and I think you know that's something that um, I hope our listeners who are doing something similar, you know, can can borrow from and, and uh, use, you know, in their teaching. Because uh, I think, you know, again, it's all about collaboration. Um, any other ideas that you guys have come up with? I know, you know, you have some of the brightest minds when it comes to wilderness uh, medicine education. What other kind of things did you think about, like, that either worked really well? Or that you found, uh, and conversely, what kind of things did you find didn't work so well uh, in what you've you know been doing? Yeah, I mean
1: that, that's a great question. I I yeah. think the challenge that we always have in virtual environments is keeping people, uh, you know, interested and engaged. And you know, a passive type learning is already difficult enough in person, and to try to do that virtually is even worse. So, in in some respects, you know. Uh, with giving uh, PowerPoint or you know a similar type lecture, even though this is live, it's it's kind of tough to engage people. You know when you try to uh, also ask them, you know you always like open conversations and access. And I find that you know when we teach even in that kind of traditional format at meetings, it's easy for someone to raise their hand and for us to you know stop what we're doing and you know allow for a conversation to start, but. It's seemingly more difficult in this environment. Whether people are not fully engaged because it's digital, whether they're distracted, or you know they're just uh, you know it's easy to not listen. So I find that that's uh, it's it there's a much better opportunity to um, to certainly use more engaging formats. So I haven't personally, but I know there have been a lot of kind of games. Uh, Minship has worked out so using. Uh, products like um, Kahoot and other, you know, kind of games, apps, you know, try to keep uh, people, um, you know, on their toes as they're learning knowledge. Uh, Something that we've developed at my site at uh, Northwell uh, South Shore that we've used actually for critical care education, but not so much for wilderness, although I do have a construct in my mind. Uh, I just never got around to uh, implementing it, is actually using um, uh, PowerPoint in some respects as the Mm choose-your-own-adventure. So you can find some of these templates, but we really actually had honed this down. Uh, My vice chair, uh, his name is William Afterback, who's a former high school teacher, um, actually really took this as a... um, as a model of learning, so you constructed through PowerPoint and almost a choose-your-own-adventure type of format, you know, using uh, stereo buttons, using video clips, you know, about someone who might have some airway compromise. But I'm like, you know what? I should do this in the same way of uh, I mentioned a tabletop that I run in real time with poisonous plants, and that's usually scenario-based. Uh, you know, an example might be, you know, you are in a survival situation again, and you are at home and you know, your food sources are running low. So why don't you go into your backyard and find some plants that are edible. So, you know, we have things like clover in there and purslane, but at the same time, I'll put in some mushrooms that are often confused with, you know, your kind of button mushrooms at the grocery store, you know, throw some poison ivy in there, you know, some things like that, um, things that might be in there. So there was a concept of, writing that scenario allowing people going down the road of looking at pictures of things you know in a lawn and picking and choosing and you know obviously getting an outcome either a great outcome or a not so great outcome after eating so that is more of a framework that we have we have certainly built that for critical care uh but that was always a framework and that's probably the next step of doing that for uh wilderness medicine just kind of takes a while to lay out all those decision trees in PowerPoint or in, um, you know, the, the Google equivalent to PowerPoint. But you could find some instructional manuals on this uh, online in a very limited format. But there's there's certainly, I think, other opportunities with some of the products that we use on a daily basis to, um, to allow for a kind of reproducible, um, interactive, um, you know, kind of experience. Where you can uh, you know where I don't have to sit there as much as flip a slide more of that I could still provide kind of that real-time feedback and tabletop type learning even though we're not all sitting at the same tabletop
0: yeah that's a great idea That's a, another really creative way to provide this education um, I think all of us you know grew up you doing those choose your own adventure books um, going back you know and choosing different paths each time uh, that's a really cool method for kind of teaching you know, edible plants versus poisonous plants. I think you could probably do something similar even with, you know, like snakes Um, for those people that are in those kind of environments. I do think that, you know, possibilities are kind of endless. Um, Again, real creative, real, you know, resource-oriented ways to kind of provide this education. Um, So again, thanks. That's a, a really cool idea. And I think you know this. This can get you know people's kind of gears churning about how you could do this with a variety of different um, kind of um, scenarios. Um, anything you found that was that just didn't work that you maybe were excited about implemented and just kind of fell flat.
1: Yeah, I mean, those were probably the two biggest educational uh, things. When we think about clicks, I mean, we did do, again, anything that seems to be passive. So I keep mentioning the uh, PowerPoint with a voiceover, and that's, I think, probably the worst format <laughs> that you could yeah. go by. You know, there's some ability to superimpose a video of yourself, like kind of talking and being animated. But, you know, I, I don't feel like that even provided the extra benefit to the participants, you know, without somebody there. And there have been a couple of other opportunities to do something like that, but then have a live session for five or 10 minutes afterwards to answer questions. No one seems to answer, you know, have any questions to ask because there's really no no one left. No one, no one survived your 30 minutes of passive uh, discussion, you know, to ask those questions in the end.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dr. Gupta, this has been really informative. Um, This is Uh, you know, these are great ideas, very creative. Um, This, you know, I think can help people that are looking to teach austere wilderness medicine uh, in this type of format to help kind of, again, churn those gears and get them thinking about creative ways to provide that education in a remote setting. I wanna thank you again for sharing your extensive knowledge and your experience and expertise with us today. Um, Our hope is that, uh, you know, we get to uh, join you live for your really excellent course, uh, especially your, uh, again, what I call the bag of tricks, uh, where you kind of, you know, when I was helping develop the wilderness course for FDNY, MSOC, everyone was asking for equipment like tourniquets and splints, and you were asking me for like tire tubes and you know, license plates, which, you know, thankfully they live in a city where you can find those things on the street, but it was really cool um, and really, you know, uh, amazing to see, you know, your, uh, you know, how you put those kind of things together. So as great as it is to think about, you know, uh, virtual education, I hope all of us can join you sometime live for one of your courses. Um, you're one of the best educators in the field. Um, and thank you listeners. Uh, for choosing the World Extreme Medicine podcast as your source of wilderness and extreme medicine education. For more content like this, please make sure to follow us on Instagram at World Extreme Medicine, on Twitter at ExpedMed, that's E-X-P-E-D-M-E-D, and to visit our website at worldextrememedicine.com. Uh, there's tons of content, including podcasts, videos, uh, as well as uh, links to our live events. Last but not least, and this is apropos to our discussion today, join us for the Expedition Medicine Conference in Edinburgh, Scotland, which is taking place November 13th through the 15th. We certainly want to see you there live, but there's a virtual option there as well. And Dr. Gupta hopefully will take some of your advice and integrate some of what you taught us today for that virtual part of the conference. So thank you all. Be safe. And Dr. Gupta, thanks again for joining us.
1: And Steve, thanks again for having me.